If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi, Bechdel cast listeners. It's us with an exciting live show announcement in Los Angeles on December 10th. We are covering... It's a wonderful life. But is it? But is it? We'll be examining this at the show. (laughs) And uh, the show is Sunday, December 10th at 4 p.m. It's live in L.A. at Dynasty Typewriter. And we're also live streaming it. So if you live anywhere else, you can still see the show. We're going to be donating half of the proceeds from this show to ANERA and PCRF, which are both organizations that are providing aid in Gaza right now. Uh, because free Palestine, bitch. And if you don't feel that way, then uh, you can escort yourself off our feed. Exactly. Anyways, live show. <laughs> Once again, it's Sunday, December 10th at 4 p.m. Live in L.A. at Dynasty Typewriter. Also, live streams are available. So go to linktree slash Bechtelcast or dynastytypewriter.com to grab your tickets. See you at Dynasty Typewriter, December 10th, 4 p.m. See you there. The Bechtelcast. Hello and welcome to the Bechtelcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. My, my name is Caitlin Durante. Why are you being so shy about it? You're I like, don't know. Um, hello? Um. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> is it okay? I guess it's we're, Did I talk? We're coming off of our horror movie, our weekly, our, our, our annual horror movie thing. So we're kind of final girling into the show, being like, hello. Mm. Uh, <laughs> my name is Jamie Loftus, and uh, this is the Bechtel Cast, our intersectional feminist movie podcast, where we take a look at your favorite movies using an intersectional feminist lens. Although this week, I'm excited that we are making history mm. on the Bechtel cast by covering our first documentary yes. we've never done this before mm-hmm. i'm super super pumped about it um Same. so but before we start talking about it um let's tell everyone what the show is 
Hi, okay. everyone. Welcome to the show. <laughs> yes, welcome. And our show is called The Bechdel Cast because it's loosely based off of the Bechdel test, which we use simply as a jumping off point. Uh, if you're not in the know, it is a media metric created by... Oh, can, wait, can I do that this week? <gasps> oh, my gosh. this is where my fun fact is. Okay, yeah, do it. Fun fact, listeners. I do read the iTunes reviews. And, <laughs> and some people would say that that's emotional self-harm. And if so, I do it. And I, uh, I noticed one recently, uh, first of all, some of y'all are hurting my feelings. Some of y'all are making me feel great. And one of y'all made me think about this, hmm. um, of how we don't often give credit to, we say, you know, that it is a media metric created by Alice and Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. That is not quite accurate to history. Uh, so while we go back to the factory and retool our, our mm. way of saying that sentence, I just wanted to do a quick shout out for the benefit of that iTunes reviewer. Uh-huh. So we usually say is it is a media metric created by Alison Bechtel in the 80s uh, in her comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For. Great comic, classic comic that was originally intended to point out how infrequently women, specifically queer women, uh, speak to each other in any piece of media about mm-hmm. anything uh, that is not about a man explicitly. But there, I, I went back and just verified uh, that. So Alison Bechtel credits, while she was the first person to publish the Bechtel test, it makes sense that it's called the Bechtel test. Mm-hmm. She credits the idea to her friend Liz Wallace, which is why we sometimes call it the Bechtel-Wallace test. Right. But she also credits it to Virginia Woolf and a quote mm-hmm. from A Room of One's Own, which I have never read. But uh, I just wanted to share this quick quote from Virginia Woolf, weirdly, at the beginning okay. of this episode. Because Virginia Woolf does pretty clearly lay out the Bechtel test in 1929. Hmm. She says, uh, quote, and I tried to remember any case in the course of my reading where two women are represented as friends. They are now and then mothers and daughters, but almost without exception, they are shown in their relation to men. It was strange to think that all the great women of fiction were, until Jane Austen's day, not seen by the other sex, but seen only in relation to the other sex. And how small a part of a woman's life is that, unquote. So obviously, you know, very 1929 language, but I thought it was uh, interesting. Yeah. We've never shouted that out on the show before that the Bechtel test, while understandably attributed to Alison Bechtel, was a group effort over a course of 60 years. And I think that's mm. fun. As many many things are a collaborative effort. It's true. An intergenerational collaborative effort. Uh, but Caitlin, all that said, yeah. what, what what is the Bechdel test? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So our version of it is because we've we've added some flair. We've contributed. We, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it continues to be a collaborative effort. Uh, our version is do two people of a marginalized gender who have names speak to each other about something other than a man. And we especially like it when it is a kind of narratively impactful conversation and not just like throwaway dialogue. Mm-hmm. All that to say, it won't really even apply on this episode <laughs> right. because really we are covering a documentary. documentary. <laughs> so. But it's a good thing we gave a full history of the test we will not be using today yes, at the yes, beginning yes, of yes. the episode. Mm-hmm. You're welcome for that. And with that, let's make history on... <laughs> the Bechtel cast and um, discuss 
not just a documentary, but a really terrific documentary. And let's bring in our guest. Yes, let's do it. Our guest is a Machif and Nehio advocate, organizer, speaker, activist, artist, and writer focusing on the lasting damage of residential school system, Indian boarding schools, and the 60s scoop on First Nations people. She is the founder of Tradish-ish. They are the co-host of Creepy Teepee. It's S.A. Lawrence Welch. Welcome. Hello and welcome. Danche. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I uh, thank so much for coming so excited on. to talk about the documentary from 2009, Real Engine. Again, this is our, our we're making history here because uh, normally we do narrative film. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a great way to, for us to break into documentary. <laughs> I think that this is like us working our way out because we on the show always say that we will never read a book. <laughs> but I think that documentary, we got to be careful. It's a gateway to books. <laughs> it's a gateway drug to books. I mean, it's it's the lazy person's read, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I don't do well with books either. So team, no reading right here. Um, <laughs> I just, it needs to be super engaging and I just I have a really hard time staying focused um, Same. with pages. So tell me stuff, show me things, I'll retain it better. And that's why I like documentaries. And mm-hmm. I wanted to add too, um, I think that the test does apply to this in some way, shape or form. There's a, a lot of narratives within this uh, documentary that kind of showcase how femmes were erased secondary yes yeah secondary to basically erased in a lot of cinematic history especially talking about the first peoples of this land so Mm -hmm. go team for sure (laughs) yes this documentary i want to talk about everyone's history with it in just a second it's made yeah came out in 2009 directed by neil diamond Catherine bainbridge and jeremiah hayes it, it's wild how i mean i've i watched the doc twice and it's it's for a 90 minute documentary covers so much so much jam-packed <laughs> yeah uh, so essay what is your history with this doc when did you first see it and and how did you um what were your feelings on it yeah I saw it when it first came out. I was, um, it, it's, it's been um, a long road, which the, the film will uh, highlight, you know, of natives and cinema, but it was so amazing to see uh, a Cree person, not unlike myself. Um, Nehio is um, the actual word for the people, not mm-hmm. uh, Cree was the name that was given to us by uh, settler mm-hmm. colonizers, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, we still identify with that name because it's it's how we get recognized, I guess. Um, that's a different conversation, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I saw it. And it's honestly, um, this movie means a lot to me more than most things. And even like, you know, 13 some odd years later, it's the movie I recommend for people to have even a glimpse into understanding how racism and prejudice started against Native people and how narratives really, uh, Hollywood can create a narrative that transforms transforms the way people think about an entire demographic of people who is unto itself completely diverse. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I just, from the first moment seeing this movie, I was um, absolutely enamored by it. 
Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And it's like, and, and it's a, a road story on top of like, it's just like, yeah, so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't seen this one before. I, I had heard about it for years. Uh, I think when I first tried to watch it, it wasn't streaming anywhere. Now, if you're watching in the US, at least, I don't know how it will cross over, but uh, it's f- streaming for free on Tubi right now. And I would really recommend if you haven't watched it yet, pause the episode and, and watch the doc. It's mm-hmm. so wonderful. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And I think that there was other other elements of of native cinema and and like the history of native cinema that I like had heard about and knew but didn't have like it put fully into context and this movie is incredibly I mean I I know it can't be completely comprehensive in the space of 90 minutes but Mm -hmm. I really 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 liked it and I also feel like I left with a list of movies that I'm really excited to watch like Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so I, I it was my first time seeing it and I really loved it. Caitlin, what about you? Same for me. I hadn't seen it before. Uh, it was on my list of things to watch. And this episode gave me a great excuse to finally see it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense for us, even though it is a doc and we normally don't cover them on the show because we, you know, examine narrative film and then mm-hmm. discuss the representation therein. This documentary also examines media from a representation standpoint and then it's specific to how native people and cultures are portrayed in Hollywood so it's doing something similar to what we do on the show so I'm really excited to talk about it and get into it in more detail it's so like this I mean and truly this documentary maybe want to maybe want to watch a bunch of movies which is not unusual but it also is like oh I also want to read several books which wow. is scary scary feeling <laughs> uh, but but so so cool I mean I I, I, um, I can't wait to sort of keep watching what is that I wait I'm I just lost my place in my notes I was thinking of a specific movie that I had not heard of before that I was really that I'm really excited to watch for um, me, it was the fast runner. Yes, that was what I was thinking of, mm-hmm. um, which I just had. I mean, mo- most uh, or many of the movies that they recommend throughout the documentary, I'd heard of and just not seen yet. But the fast runner, I had no idea existed. And it seems unfucking believably good. Like, I, I just am really excited to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me because this, uh, again, is you're witnessing this this narrative that uh, Neil Diamond puts down of you know uh, watching movies through an indigenous lens, right? And mm-hmm. um, how like I don't know if you guys want to just jump into it, but like the thing that gets me is like within the opening scenes, there's just these kids sitting in a basement watching shoot 'em up cowboy movies, and yeah. he, uh, Neil says something along the lines of we didn't realize we were the Indians, like we were the bad guys. And that's mm-hmm. like definitely a, um, a thing I find for myself as somebody who grew up relatively isolated in the mountains of Treaty 6 territory in um, so-called Alberta, Canada, that mm-hmm. that was the outlet, you know? So seeing yourself vilified on screen, but not even realizing that it's the same thing, but different, you know, like it was such an interesting experience to grow into myself and then just be like, Oh, that's absolutely not right. And that speaks to a larger narrative, which I'm sure we'll talk about Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's take a quick break and then we will be right back. 
Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So yeah, let's get into it. I will go through a recap, as I as I always do, um, <laughs> just kind of like going through the, the different beats, the points, the eras that this documentary covers. So... We meet the narrator who is also one of the directors. His name is Neil Diamond, and it's not Neil Diamond, the musician. It's Neil Diamond, the Cree Canadian filmmaker. I was such a doofus and completely forgot there was a different Neil Diamond that existed (laughs) because I was telling my boyfriend that I I was like, I watched this incredible documentary. It's so good. You have to watch it. It's made by this guy named Neil Diamond. He's like... Am I missing something? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Not the musician, Neil Diamond. Um, the superior Neil Diamond, as far as I'm concerned, because I forgot I the other one fucking existed. 
<laughs> you're gonna make you're gonna make all like the middle aged women really upset right saying that. <laughs> oh, the Neil Hive is gonna so come yeah. for us. <laughs> um, okay, so Neil talks about how he was raised on a reservation near the Arctic Circle, which was one of the most isolated places on Earth. He grew up watching movies like you were just talking about essay. He grew up watching movies that depicted Native people in often very negative ways. And this inspires him to embark on a journey from his reservation to Hollywood to examine Hollywood's representation of Indians and how it shaped the cultural perception of them. Mm -hmm. And of course, Indians in this context, referring to indigenous and First Nations people who were here pre-colonization of what became known as North America, specifically the U.S. and Canada. Uh, okay, so Neil's first stop is at the Black Hills, uh, once the domain of Chief Sitting Bull and Tushunka Witko, a.k.a. Crazy Horse. Mm -hmm. He goes to the place where Crazy Horse outmaneuvered General Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn, which uh, is something that has been depicted in several Hollywood movies and which turned Crazy Horse into a legend as far as like white America <laughs> having a better sense of who he was. Um, that was, yeah, I, as I was watching the doc, I, I was trying to square with like what I had been taught in Massachusetts public schools, like how much history had I actually learned and how far away from the truth and it's about as far as you could imagine which uh but but i think crazy horse is one of the few indigenous figures that i do specifically remember learning about incorrectly mm -hmm. but i i was like oh okay bad job school <laughs> but yes. but also like really good job school because you know the erasure is part of the narrative that keeps uh this like American exceptionalism, you know, we deserve this land, we came here, we fought for it, yada yada, such and mm -hmm. so forth. And that's clearly displayed in some of the movies that the doc outlines that, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll we'll get to it in the in the like John Ford uh section in particular, <laughs> but it's there's like such a great quote that perfectly well, we'll get there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also mention of the descendants of Crazy Horse and of the warriors who fought alongside him. Mm -hmm. Present day live in pretty extreme poverty on Pine Ridge Reservation. So mm -hmm. um, just kind of like an examination of this icon, this legend. And because of systemic racism and oppression, the descendants living in poverty. Yeah, a system set up by designed to dismantle entire nations of people is mm -hmm. also working. And the the thing behind that that kind of uh, speaks to you know even uh, with Neil going to the Black Hills uh, is interesting for me as a Cree person and seeing him as a Cree person. You know, we're told certain stories. We're not even like in school. We weren't even told stories about our own people. You know, like mm. we were, we were, this is why this movie is so amazing to me is because it really caters to this, like, 
like romanticization of like the great west right and you know all of these noble natives but we had so many within our own nations like there's so many different nations of native people across these lands and the fact that he went to go talk about this particular story because that is what the narrative is in every single hollywood movie Mm -hmm. up until that point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm excited to to talk with you about that because I, i think that like Neil Diamond being so forward about that and yeah. being so forward about like being connected with his history to an extent, but also have to having to like unlearn and relearn in that whole process and also having like this attachment to the media you grow up with. And like, how do you, you know, unwire that and rewire yourself? It sounds mm-hmm. just like Herculean. It's, yeah, for sure. Okay, so the documentary then starts to go through era by era how Hollywood represented Native people, starting with the silent film era. And while that was happening in the late 1800s, where, you know, some of the first moving images ever to exist were of Native people, while this was happening, The U.S. Army opened fires on the last free community of natives in revenge for Little Bighorn and 300 Lakota people were massacred at Wounded Knee in 1890. And this tragedy becomes fodder almost for the type of like drama and myth and mythology that Hollywood loves to romanticize and make movies about. So... Neil discusses how Indians, for example, uh, in movies are always shown as expert horseback riders, even though many tribes and nations never rode horses, though there are some who were expert and are expert horse riders, such as the Crow. And so Neil goes to the Crow Agency in Montana and meets a Crow stuntman named Rod Rondo, who is an expert horseman and one of Hollywood's top stunt people. And just like the most charismatic person on the face of the earth. (laughs) So fucking cool. Um, Yeah, he talks just about how important horses are to Crow people. We go back to examining the silent film era Native characters were prominently featured in a lot of silent era movies, often as the hero. And many of those films were written and directed by Native filmmakers. I genuinely did not know that. I wish I had been taught that in fucking film, film school. school. I know. Yeah. yeah. that That's such a... Uh, that's a point of, like, contempt for me, for sure. You know, you see these beautiful silent films that are depicting life and honesty and you see these people within the film uh within these silent films being authentic and then all of a sudden another narrative needs to be written to uh back again the american exceptionalism like i guess i've already yeah. used that term but like to be like no no this is ours you know we need yeah this is, we can't humanize the people that we need to dehumanize to mm. maintain our our lie for yeah. lack of a better term mm-hmm. no that's exactly yeah. what it is yeah yeah and it just like felt like such a clear I don't know, like, it's just such a clear example of, like, media representation being very nonlinear. And, like, I mean, you 50 years after these early silent films, Native representation is far worse. 
and like I I don't know it was fascinating because I want to watch the watch the silent films but also discouraging to you know just see such a clear example of of that Mm -hmm. yeah um the movie also uh, mentions a prominent actor of this era his name was Chief Buffalo Child Longlands he was a star of a film called The Silent Enemy among others and his life ended very tragically Um, he had disguised his racial background. He was native, black, and white. And when people found out he was part black, he was shunned by Hollywood, and he died by suicide. I had not heard of him before. And that's just the intersectional Mm -hmm. racism in the US is astonishing. Um, Then the documentary examines Hollywood creating this magical mystical idea of what it is to be native and how a lot of people especially white people romanticize the idea of being native and neil tells us about this certain type of like summer camp in north america i did not know that these existed um oh i i did it's i yeah i don't i just did not know about this where it's mostly white kids go and adopt this like perceived persona of what a native person is while they're at these camps. They play these like quote unquote tribal games. It's all extremely appropriative and it keeps the idea of an Indian as a, you know, quote unquote noble savage alive and well. And Neil goes to one such camp and he wonders if any of these kids have ever even met a native person or if their image and idea of natives only comes from what they've seen in movies. And I would guess it's probably the latter for most of them. Yeah. Well, you know, that lovely Austrian guy, I think he was Austrian. He was (laughs) like, I basically learned everything I needed to know from watching two to three films about natives. It was like... um, Oh, that the, he got the mentality of the natives through watching those movies. That yeah, they're he's just like, like I these, understand them. No. Yeah, they're like these people who love their community, but they can be savage when they need to or whatever. And it's just like super cool. I love this. I love this so. for us. <laughs> and you can really tell that that guy thinks he's doing something yeah. there. Like thinks he's being respectful. I so I unfortunately I I I never um, you know I think that. Because I grew up in Massachusetts, your trip, your like field trip is going to Plymouth Plantation. Uh, I don't know how or if it has been updated whatsoever in the, you know, like 20 plus years it's been since I took this field trip. Mm -hmm. But one of the places that you're taken is to Camp Squanto, which is very much in in step I, I don't because we were only there for a day I don't the extremeness that you see in the doc was not something that I experienced but I'm sure that it it that is the model that that's built on there's so many too and like I attribute that fully to like the boy scouts you know there's actually yes. um so like the Kansas City Chiefs the Chiefs are actually named after a man who uh now I can't remember the name of the tribe because I've like blocked this out of my brain but it's like a a camp and it's a tribe of Indians. I'll probably think of it later on as we're talking about something completely different, but uh, basically it's people who 
dress up and like non-natives who dress up and wear headdresses and go through all of these protocols because they just revere natives so much right and it's it's so um is there i don't know if there's a word for it but like barf inducing is the term that i'm gonna go for <laughs> yeah, it's, fucking yeah. Gross. It's, just, it's it's gross but it's just like it it's like it just turns my stomach to see people dressing up and creating this narrative of again like this concept of what they want natives to be mm-hmm. and they want to play that you know and it's just so vile like yeah. yeah, refusing to learn anything about actual native people and culture and just like assuming some stuff and being like, well, I'm probably right about that. Well, I mean, again, you know, like every native is a Plains native wearing a headdress mm-hmm. in the great southwest of this noble country, you know. So. And to see that like still pretty uncritically presented to children who, to your point, S.A., very well may have never met a native child before and being taught that this is what native culture was and not just that but the fact that like it felt like especially in at the camp where Neil went to and I'm sure where I went to uh on that field trip like you're taught that this is a very respectful thing that is being mm-hmm. done and meanwhile they're like this camp squanto exists in the middle of the miles standish you know state forest and you're like you know, I'm, it's just so clear what is happening, but like growing up, you know, indoctrinated in that it, the amount of unlearning is, it's ridiculous. But, and it's just attaching a name. And that's the thing that really gets me. It's like, even the history of Squanto, you know, like people don't take the time to actually understand anything. They just want the culture without the the struggle, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whatever it's worth. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and go through the rest of the film bean dad the dress 30 to 50 feral hogs if you knew what any of those were you spend too much time online and hey i do too 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we left off talking about this type of summer camp. Then the doc examines films of like the 30s, 40s, 50s, where representation of natives shifts from what it was in the silent era, where the movies where the natives were heroes were not box office successes generally. White audiences were not interested in those stories. The stories they were interested in were westerns, where white men playing cowboys were the heroes, and natives were portrayed as quote-unquote savages, marauders, you know, the enemy. So movies like... Stagecoach, uh, starring John Wayne, directed by Boo. John Ford. <laughs> Boo to both these Johns. Yeah. 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 A movie that was incredibly damaging for Native people, but like Hollywood used it as a blueprint, more or less, for what a Western movie should be for years and years to come. And so there's discussion of these movies representing native people as uncivilized, you know, bloodthirsty killers. It had people not speaking real languages. Um, Often it was English ran backwards. Uh, Clothing that the native characters were wearing was extremely inaccurate, not regionally or culturally specific. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to talk about the side quest that Neil Diamond takes to talk to. I think his name is Richard Lamont, the costume designer who was sort of tasked with, yeah, with, with presenting uh, presenting Native people over the years and being like, yeah, this is like a load of shit the way that we... <laughs> yeah. That sequence was fascinating. Again, it comes down to like this fetishization of the Plains India and Indian and like the last real conquest for like America, right? So mm-hmm. like this is the last true effort towards genocide. Like I mean, we still are dealing with an ongoing genocide as native people, you know, erasure is still very much a real thing and but I think about like with some of the filming by one of them, Johns, both of them, Johns in uh, the Southwest. I'm like, that's the home of like the uh, Diné people, the Navajos or like, you know, Hopi people. And like they're all wearing headdresses. And, you know, uh, to your point, Caitlin, like it makes me LOL because there's these 
uh, elder Navajo people talking about how they didn't they would go off script and say things yes. in the movie. I like I like live for this. I'm like because again I don't speak every language. I like barely speak three, uh, four. <laughs> like I barely speak four Only languages. Four? <laughs> I'm really trying, you oh guys. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of my favorite like delicious nuggets to just think like in some of those movies how they were responding to these white actors Mm -hmm. that were so serious about their craft (laughs) that was uh, such a wonderful sequence when um yeah when neil diamond goes to visit two actors who had been in john wayne movies but had never seen the movies and were telling him you know the behind the scenes details of like how poorly they were treated how dismissively their culture was treated but then translating what the native actors were saying you're a snake <laughs> crawling in your own shit i like, love it so mm-hmm. much like what Just a sick so burn like, <laughs> like and then cut back to the white actor being like no <laughs> we will not you are go not to- wrong. yeah <laughs> you are wrong we are not Oh. Great. Um, can I tell you guys a story? Yeah, um, please, like just please. to kind of a side off of that, just so people think I'm a really nice person or a mean person either way. <laughs> Perfect. People ask me all the time, how do you say this in your language? Or like, how do you how do you say that in your language? Like, so how do you say hello? Or how do you say the color blue? Right? So people will ask me and I'd be like, I'll always say like, Namulia and Patagua. And they're like, okay, cool, cool. Right? That's how you say hello. And then somebody would be like, hey, how do you say frog? Namulia and Patagua. Or like, how do you say thank you? Oh, Namulia and Patakoa. <laughs> and uh, this is an on-running bit I just have for myself to bring me joy because um, I just have a feeling that one day one of these like well-meaning white people will go to like a Nehio Cree elder or like a Machif Métis elder and say Namulia and Patakoa. And that translates to that is not a potato. <laughs> <laughs> And I just really, like, I know that that elder is going to laugh. Like, mm-hmm. I know that the person they're saying that to is just going to laugh. And I'm like, this is me doing my part to help with language resurgence. That That's technically in Machif, but, like, Machif is um, a makeup of, like, uh, Nehioewin, uh, Anishinaabek, uh, Scottish slang and French. Because it's, like, our people mm-hmm. were an amalgamation of these like fur traders and the indigenous people coming together and creating our own language and protocols and it's a beautiful thing to me but I also like the idea of just somebody walking around saying that is not a potato (laughs) it's a great bit it's just also like the perfect like a perfect amount of disarming as a yeah (laughs) Yeah. like I'm not it's not mean like it's so stupid (laughs) language is important you guys uh that's really what yeah that's a top shelf bit that's great (laughs) i love it um okay so the documentary is also exploring how in a lot of these westerns from this era of like 30s 40s 50s you had uh white actors playing native characters often their skin was painted full brown face yeah 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 um I like when the whites of the eyes are so white. Oh, <laughs> like, my God. It's my favorite it's, thing. <laughs> it's creepy. It's disgusting. And I also appreciated when someone's like, it's just like, you have to laugh. Yeah. You're like, Ugh, you're like, yeah. this is what they did. This is the best they could do. And good for them. <laughs> they they tried so hard. Embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I was on The fact that Clint Eastwood shows up in this documentary, I'm like, sort of like, 
sir. I found that surprising too. Because his politics are... I think this is like this. Well, given this is 13 years ago, this is pre him thinking. I think there's a certain era in the last uh, decade that we can all kind of lean to that allowed all of these um, really cool people to have their really cool opinions out loud. (laughs) (laughs) True. It's true. A lot of people have been really laid bare. Yeah. Not going to lie. It was it is a jump scare to see Clint Eastwood in a documentary where you're not prepared. I mean, I'm just never prepared to see him. But right. You also have you know, white characters, cowboys, killing native characters being glorified and celebrated in these movies. Native women are more or less absent in Westerns and Hollywood cinema in general, with the exception of the, you know, young indigenous princess epitomized by Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. Then the documentary talks about one of Hollywood's most famous native actors, Iron Eyes Cody, who turns out was not native. His parents were immigrants from Sicily, but he adopted a native persona both on and off screen and lived his entire life like that. And adopted native children as well. Is that? He was married to uh, a native woman and had adopted Mm -hmm. her children, I believe. I don't know a lot about him other than, you know, our protocols are really different in each community. And so like, you know, if he was adopted into whatever tribe, whatever by those people, those are their protocols. That's their sovereignty, sovereignty. Uh, it's their sovereign right. Sorry, it's hard for me to say that. Um, mm-hmm. To bring him in and just adopt him as, as one of their own. Uh, for me, I have a really hard time wrapping my head around these things um, just because a lot of native people aren't given that same proximity and mm-hmm. um he was an actor and he was acting indian but you know to be mm-hmm. that obtuse to believe that you are that you know he sought out the he sought out the trauma as much as he sought out the the victories that he received in his career um i was actually just in la and i went to the hollywood forever cemetery and i saw that he was buried there and i was just oh, yeah. not yeah it's it's a it's a point of like anger for me personally because while I want to respect the the protocols of the people that may have adopted him in or believe him to be one of them his son included who's featured in the documentary yeah it's something that you know is a very nuanced topic when it comes to cultural protocols and who is and isn't indigenous based on our individual communities and mm-hmm. our and and our sovereignty so but I still don't like him so I just you know that's my prerogative and I might get hate for that from some people but I don't really care about that because I'm just like super frustrated at the fact that it does still take away opportunities from people and he he also catered to the fetishization and the romanticization of this specific type of Indian right and I mean I understand at certain eras in history of this nation that Italian Americans were treated very poorly, but they got Columbus Day. So yeah. <laughs> right. it's like you I th- I think it's like you can hold the discrimination that he he experienced as a Sicilian and be like it doesn't make anything he did afterward. Like especially because to your to your point, I say like I, I think one of the at least for like my parents' generation, one of the most 
you know, iconically false images of indigenous people they have is Iron Eyes Cody, the single tear commercial. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I cry every time I see someone litter. So right. but, you're like... just like, oh, my fucking God, like playing into <laughs> yeah. 20,000 stereotypes all at once. And then on yeah. top of that, for the actor to have not been native at all, like it's a bit know. of a gut punch. Yeah. But again, like that's the thing with like being native and being from particular nations, you know, we have our, our own protocols when it comes to adoption or recognition. And mm-hmm. I mean, my people didn't adopt him. So I don't really like, I still get to have my, my free space to be like, well, I believe in their so- sovereignty, but I, I respect native protocol and native law. I don't respect people who take advantage of it. Put it that way. Yeah. And that's very fair. Especially for monetary purposes. And right. Yeah, the fact that in the documentary they even say that, you know, in his home it was all just pictures of him dressed up as an Indian and watching his own films. I'm like, that's a certain type of narcissist. And like, yeah. And like, that's to the level of like, that's, I think there might be, like, I'm not diagnosing, but there might be some like mental health uh, needs that aren't being met there either when you want to believe that's so bad that you surround yourself by it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and we. It started to feel, I don't know. I, I was reading his, um, he passed in 99. Yeah. And I just wanted to read how he was represented in, you know, big public. Um, what's the article they write when you die? Oh, Obituary. no. Obituary. <sighs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, anyways, fuck the New York Times, but the New York Times wrote what felt like kind of a shady <laughs> headline. Oh, cool. Iron Eyes Cody, 94, an actor. And tearful anti-littering icon. So no mention of um, indigenous lineage because that was not true. Um, yeah. I don't know. That was, yeah, I, I, I did not know. I, I was, I knew his, again, I think like speaks to why this documentary is so valuable. Like I knew his image and I didn't know that story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of non-native people, appropriating iconography and culture perfect transition thank you so much (laughs) the documentary then moves into the 1960s and 70s where the idea of native people became a symbol in the hippie movement um, where there was lots of appropriation by mostly white people dressing like native people adopting the kind of like perceived free spirit, quote unquote, mentality, um, but of course, doing all of that very inaccurately. Um, And then also around this time, some movies that were coming out seemed to be more sympathetic to the plight of the native people. Mm -hmm. In some movies, we, we see Indians fight back against injustice which was also happening in the real world, where at Wounded Knee in 1973, the American Indian movement faced off against the FBI and Mm -hmm. help came from an unexpected source, Hollywood. And then Neil meets Sasheen Littlefeather. We hear the story of how Marlon Brando arranged to have her accept his Academy Award for The Godfather as a statement to say, look at all the harm Hollywood has done against Native people. 
And so Sashin received this award on stage. She was planning to give a longer speech. The producer of the Academy Awards prohibited it and said, like, if you go, if you talk for longer than a minute, you will be arrested and like taken away in handcuffs. Absurd. So, so fun fact about that is uh, it took years, years and years, decades for Sashin to be apologized to for being put in that situation. Um, the amount of hate that that woman received in her years of life is mm. astronomically high. And um, I couldn't imagine having to carry that for so long. But the uh, rumor is that John Wayne was so pissed off when she was up there that he went to go rush, rush the stage and people had to hold him back. Whoa. Yeah. I also read that, which is just like, I don't know. It just- yeah. It's jarring, you know, and the thing is, she did refuse the award on behalf of Marlon Brando. That's the other side of things, right? So it's such an insult to this very prestigious community of um, Hollywood, uh, you know, actors and elitists. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it's fucking disgusting, though. I don't know. Everything I've heard about John, I I had no attachment to John Wayne whatsoever, Mm -hmm. because I I think that was one of the rare points my parents were like, no, these movies... Don't just fucking suck. They're also really boring. uh, And we're not watching them. But I mean, just everything attached to his image feels entrenched in hatred and violence. Like just a really vile icon. Even the clip that they showed of one of the movies. And he refers to a man. And like, I don't even repeat it because it's so vulgar. But Mm -hmm. like... He, he he refers to another brown man as a blanket head like it just made it makes me sick like you know and I'm just like and this was this was normal like when did this when was this normal like why is this normal and again it was vilifying and dehumanizing entire demographics of people to ensure that white Americans were deserving of this land absolutely you know? fucking gross and then seeing the I, I thought it was really smart in that it just made this community look so foolish uh when neil diamond stops off at like whatever the john wayne fan club oh <laughs> group there's like such all losers. these pathetic <laughs> old men being like there's no such thing as a bad john wayne you're like oh my god and they're all doing their impression and the walk and i'm just like uh like if that's your hero like I'm losers you really is like it was a really spectacular display of fucking losers with no critical thinking skills so although I did really enjoy when Neil like just real hard cut for this uh, documentary when Neil Diamond was like yeah I'll take the draw with the fastest shooter and he's like count to four and Neil just said four Four. and and drew on him I'm like ah that's my guy right there he fucking rocks Mm -hmm. I really do. I, I just love when like communities that are so removed from reality are I'm just like I'm not even going to provoke them let's just let them talk and they will yeah. incriminate themselves 100%. just by being themselves yeah gross 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 yeah. loser shit yeah um okay so um also around this time in history the documentary examines that some movies portray native characters as being more multi-dimensional than they had been previously represented. Um, some of them even start to dismantle some of the stereotypes. Some of them show the humor of Native people. 
Some examples include Will Sampson as the character of Chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, Chief Dan George in The Outlaw Josie Wales. Mm -hmm. There's discussion of how humor kept Indians alive and, you know, just levity and being able to laugh and experience joy that helped them keep going. Yeah. That's honestly one thing that I think is synonymous with, again, you know, I don't know everything about every native nation on these lands, but uh, one thing I know that brings us all together is laughing mm-hmm. and there's no better sound than making an auntie or an uncle just gut laugh, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what we strive to do is just tease and make fun and all of that. And finding humor in things is like, honestly paramount to our thrival as people it's the one thing that's pulled us out of the the darkest times you know and seeing that conveyed on screen is such an incredible thing yeah i really loved um i'd i'd seen his the the set that they show of of charlie hills from the 70s at the beginning i'd seen it before and like i just i really he's so cool and it also it like is feels like demonstrative of all of this prejudice against native people that he didn't have a fucking gigantic career and Mm -hmm. like wasn't you know like eddie murphy like steve martin levels of famous he's so talented but just like the use of his work and then also in like clips of him at the time throughout are just like he's just so funny he's such a good comic and it's it's it feels gentle too. Like that's yeah. the other thing too. It's like gentle humor where it's like silly, but also like a little like pokey, but still, you know, it's in jest. It's good. Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I think that special, wasn't it on the Richard Pryor show or something? I like believe that? so. Yeah. 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 He gave him that space to, to be able to come and do that. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. I thought of, yeah, God, I, I, I want to learn more about Charlie Hill, but yeah, he did it. He, uh, Richard Pryor sort of put him on for the first time and then he went on to do Sats on Carson and then Letterman and like, but Richard Pryor got him started, which I was like, Mm. fuck yeah, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Drake. Then the documentary is like, now it's time to talk about Dances with Wolves. (laughs) Because (laughs) come to the the table, (laughs) children. I still have not seen Dances with Wolves. You only need to see it for the incredible force that is Graham Greene. Mm-hmm. Absolute childhood hero. Uh, he's touched every level of entertainment that I enjoy. He's hosted like cold case file shows. Like He's done all sorts of stuff. And I'm just like, I could just listen to that man talk forever and also look mm-hmm. at him because he's a cutie. <laughs> He's I know. so damn handsome. He really uh, is. <laughs> he's real. He's real handsome. Uh, yeah. No, I'm trying to. I think I first saw Graham Greene in Die Hard with a Vengeance? Question mark. Oh. Um, yep. Surprised that you have seen that movie, Jamie. I think it was on TNT, and I was sick or something. I don't know. How else like, do you I see don't Die know Hard with a Vengeance? I, yeah. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> But that was uh, that was my intro to Graham Greene. Oh, so good. Yeah, no, that is it for Dances with Wolves. Like, definitely worth um, the the Graham Greenisms in there and his facial acting and mm. just how talented he is. Um, the the doc talks about how this was a movie told from a white lens about a white man, where native characters are still you know mostly like periphery backdrop characters but those characters being more nuanced and fleshed out than had 
previously been seen in Hollywood, and again, calling particular attention to Graham Greene's performance. And because Dances with Wolves was a box office success, from that came similar movies that kind of ushered in more positive representation of of indigenous people on screen, followed by a renaissance where the voices of native filmmakers and artists were finally allowed to be seen and heard in Hollywood. So this is where you have movies like Smoke Signals, directed by Chris Ayer. We covered it on the podcast not long ago. Um, And then Neil Diamond arrives in Hollywood. He meets with actor Adam Beach, uh, who is one of the stars of Smoke Signals. What a fun final destination, too. To right. Be like, and then I went to Adam Beach's house. You're like, hell yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and like, she's like, and I can tell you the future. You will be Slipknot in the really, really bad Suicide Squad movie for oh. five seconds. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was him? Like, no, it don't was tell him. Me I was so bummed because like he hit a woman in that and I was like, ah, we can't have anything. Oh. Like, I was just so upset. I didn't know that was him. Oh, no. No, it was. Um. my god i still haven't seen the power of the dog but i know that was that the last big thing he was in i did i still haven't seen it i'm bad at watching movie (laughs) sorry you guys it's okay and then neil diamond returns to igloolik in northern canada talks about a revolutionary inuit movie called the fast runner from 2001 which Uh, was very much a Native movie told from a Native perspective. Neil meets with the director, Zacharias Kunick, and there's a discussion about how that movie ushered in a new wave of film where the gaze and perspective was fully Indigenous. And that's pretty much where the movie ends, where it's just basically ending on a, a positive note of like, things are looking up. And representation continues to be uh, more and more meaningful and prevalent and positive. And the last, I mean, according to scholarly journal Wikipedia, Neil Diamond and uh, Zacharias Kunuk hit it off to the extent that I'm like, I don't know if it's going to happen because it says as of April 2011, uh, Diamond is developing a project with Inuit filmmaker Zacharias Kanuk about the 18th century conflict between Cree and Inuit, which lasted almost a century, which I hope comes out someday. I was like, I would <laughs> yeah. really like to see that. Yeah. But I like that they connected and are collaborating. Yeah. That also like speaks to the, uh, something that, you know, as Native people, like uh, we probably hear more often than not, like with the when it comes to war or like taking the land right when people were coming here uh that weren't from these lands it's like well the native people fought with each other i'm like yeah we did like we weren't these like peaceful beings just wandering around you know Mm -hmm. doing whatever but i i really appreciate that you know even the stories of our nations are being shared Mm -hmm. um to where we are now like you know i have a cousin who's blackfoot and Korean Blackfoot, we had a few battles kicked their ass one time real good but like you know (laughs) other than that i'm like it's like these these are formative to our relationships now and mm-hmm. um i that also draws a point for me that i kind of wanted to bring up today is um i love history i love history of native people i love people understand i love non-natives and natives of course learning the history of these lands and how the people interact with them but i 
crave and pine for contemporary cinema. Mm-hmm. I'm so tired of the rhetoric of like natives as a thing of the past. Like I have not yet seen killers of the flower moon. I don't know if I'm going to see it. I'm so glad that the Osage had a say in that movie. And from what I've read, you know, like the actors did such a phenomenal job in it and it is what it was supposed to be for a movie directed by Scorsese. That say that being said, it's a history lesson. Where's the modern day mm-hmm. lesson of why Native people are in the situations they're in? Why are they still living on reservations or reserves? Why are they still experiencing poverty? Why is there a reservation in Canada that's decades in of not having clean water? You know, like there needs to be something modern to tell our story, not just the history. Which seems like it's being done more in the TV space absolutely, than in film right now. And it would be like... That should be represented across yeah. mediums. Um, I thought th- I think that there is. I don't remember if it was like Chris Eyre talking about his own movie, but like Smoke Signals being successful felt like such a huge deal because there were so few movies about contemporary Native life that um, actually became national successes. Mm-hmm. There's a chunk in the documentary where, because again, it's going through sort of like decade by decade of like here were the trends of native representation in Hollywood in each decade there's voiceover where it's like in the 1980s westerns went out of style and so it wasn't until the 90s again when with dances of wolves that the western came back and it's just like oh Hollywood just couldn't think of any other genres that native people could be in because Westerns went out of style for a decade or so <laughs> that they just native people were not included in like Hollywood movies. And it's like storytelling at, for, all. at yeah. all. The eighties. Yeah. You're just like, what? I was born in the eight. I, I was born in the eighties and, <laughs> and natives were still there in the eighties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I mean, this is actually something I had to unlearn because Every native person I saw depicted in a movie, like when I was watching them as a kid, mm-hmm. even into my teen years and stuff like that, were movies either about first contact, the settlers coming in, making first contact, mm-hmm. or like westward expansion times. Yeah. Either way, it was like centuries ago, nothing in the modern era, which like yeah. does so much to erase native people from the modern world to the point where I was like they're a thing of the past do native people yeah. exist yeah. alongside mm-hmm. me right now and like for a long time like growing up in a very like homogenous white like conservative small town area not being around or seeing any native people I was like oh they must be a thing of the past yeah <laughs> which weirdly jim jarmusch made that point what? okay i was like why is jim jarmusch here yeah. i wasn't clear on it <laughs> but i was like i like what he's saying yeah. but who invited him <laughs> he just shows up he's just like he's, he's ready did he's he just like... wander in like what happened <laughs> um but he had like a kind of a, a good quote that uh when he was but he was talking about the um coming out of the silent era of how particularly once 
Native directors, writers, actors who were portraying their own stories, once that was phased out pretty effectively during the Great Depression, that there was this distinct sort of cultural shift moving into the John Wayne years of portraying Native people as if they no longer existed and that that was like a distinct Mm -hmm. moment. Or they were in the way. They were in the way of progression. Mm -hmm. And that's really like what I think most of the, the John Wayne era movies just did um Mm -hmm. or they had to fulfill a trope that's the other thing you know that really gets me is like um we can kind of dissect some of these too but like everything from pocahontas to like billy Mm -hmm. jack still have such a weak i have like i have such a soft spot for that movie and i need someone to explain billy jack to me (laughs) he's a cool kung fu indian okay and he wears a really big hat with a great hat band and that's all you need to know i don't understand billy jack conceptually (laughs) (laughs) like but it's i don't know why i love that movie so much i'm just like it's because it's so terrible that i'm like okay this can pass like this passes my checklist of like just ridiculousness um but the thing is is natives always have to fulfill a trope right because if we aren't performing the way that people want us to perform act look speak um and that even goes back to like they talked about the tonto speech like talkum speech mm-hmm. that stuff like um I now I'm still can't rem- remember it. It's like on the tip of my Mikose tribe. If y'all want to do a Google search at some point, uh, yeah, it's run by uh, like it's an offshoot of the Boy Scouts, and they actually have a podcast called like Talkum or something like that, where it's mm. like we make them talk. Like they do that type of garbage, oh my like God. that type of speech. It's like if we're not fulfilling these like compartments of what people think natives should be, and it's like so difficult to differentiate tribes or it's so difficult to whatever Mm -hmm. we don't exist to you Mm -hmm. right and that's the part that makes me really sad is like it's too much work i think part of it and not to get super deep on y'all today but like the acknowledgement by hollywood that's why all of the movies made by white directors are still things of the past is because the moment that that acknowledgement happens that we were genocided, continued to be uh, victims of genocide, modern day genocide with erasure and disclusion and so many things. The moment that any powerful entity, even Hollywood, uh, acknowledges who we are as people um, outside of their lens is, and that we exist today, acknowledges all the atrocities they committed against us and then completely severs their um their self-appointed right to land Mm -hmm. um what do they call it uh resources (laughs) like um people like again people and that goes back to even like pocahontas like you know her name wasn't even pocahontas it was Mm -hmm. like um it starts with an M. It's like Matoka, Makota. Like I can't say again. I don't speak all the other languages, but you know, it's it's expected that she was between nine and eleven years old. Yeah, mm-hmm. she died at twenty-one. Yeah, like after being essentially kidnapped. Like yeah, it's... and human trafficked. You know, yeah. like. But again, this concept. Um, I'll never forget actually talking about cinema with my like my dad. Uh, he had picked me up uh, after, <laughs> here's personal stuff, after a visitation right with my mom when I was a kid. Uh, she lived in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we lived in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, Canada. 
And my dad had picked me up and he took me to Watascoin, also Cree name, there you go. Uh, he took me to Watascoin after he picked me up to go take me to the movies because like, I always had a hard time leaving my mom's and it was always very interesting dynamic growing up. Mm-hmm. But we went to go see Pocahontas and I will tell you, uh, my dad was like a BFI, which I actually call a big fucking Indian. Like he was just big and brown. <laughs> and uh, he was, when you, when you got a BFI angry, it was hilarious. But he, uh, he was so mad. He was mad. He's like, she, they made it seem like she was a traitor to the people and they made her sexy and all of these things. And mm-hmm. he was all upset about it. And I'm just like, go home. And man, did I get a lecture on the way home? Like not to be like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was pretty surreal. Mm. <laughs> That's fa- I, I'm twelve. I, like, <laughs> but it's, I, I mean, I that I that movie. God, that movie came out when I think I was like two or three years old. It's the first movie I remember seeing, and I was fucking obsessed with it. And it like, yeah, in in a formative way that like certainly was not challenged in the way that I was schooled or grew up. I I didn't grow up knowing native kids or native families and. That movie, I think that that movie, I think it's interesting. It seems like every generation there is a hugely successful movie that wildly misrepresents and insults Native history that has a huge, huge impact on just media in general. Mm-hmm. And Pocahontas was I certainly that movie for me. And so then when I think I was in high school when I had a great history teacher who sort of spoke to all of the wild historical inaccuracies that are presented in, at that point, extremely famous <laughs> movie that was sort of my first indication that, you know, this this story that I literally was like one of my first conscious memories was completely false and not just and false in a dangerous way. Mm-hmm. There's like a, I think there's a level of discomfort too with again, like these, these movies being portrayed the way that people want us to be or want to see us as, as natives. And I have a lot of empathy <laughs> considering the things I've experienced in my life. But one of them is like, I can't imagine what it feels like to know that everything you believed is bullshit. And that must be really difficult because you're like, wow, like starting from ground zero to to learn things and while it's a super beautiful process there's a lot of people that get stunted in that and decide that they don't want to actually put in work or listen or change their that narrative shift it even a little bit in their brains because Mm -hmm. there's discomfort associated with that and the discomfort that people feel from realizing that and again i'll just talk about what we're talking about as movies that the way that natives have been betrayed is not true or not necessarily true, like, is just a fragment of the discomfort we have felt as people mm-hmm. since the onset of colonization. So, like, I mean, not that, you know, tit for tat, I would never wish real negative things on anybody because I don't want to put that out into the universe. But what I would say is with discomfort comes growth, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, reevaluating our lens no pun intended as we see people through this like talking box <laughs> like there there's my indian speak for the day talking <laughs> box like uh so t- i'm gonna be uh, i'm gonna be blacklisted for that one um but like but no like through any talking box whether it be your phone whether it be your tv whether it be your computer how we see things portrayed 
is somebody's narrative if they haven't experienced it how how genuine can it be you know mm-hmm. and so that's why i'm so glad with this like again renaissance that they're talking about 13 years ago at the end of this documentary we're seeing it happen slowly but surely like a great film came out recently um called slashback and i'm obsessed with it i will mm-hmm. watch that movie like so often because it touches on everything that i would want it to touch on and i'm not like a nook i'm not from there i don't experience those things but to see like syllabics and to see language and to see face markings it all like just makes sense to me like they went to that like village and they taught kids how to act Mm -hmm. like that's so great you know i'm so glad that things like this are happening now that we get to tell authentic versions of ourselves and it might make people uncomfortable they might not understand it but that's okay too because again it doesn't have to be for everyone but it's also going back to what i said like there's going to be discomfort in knowing the things that you believe to be true Mm -hmm. aren't and I mean, speaking more to that, this episode is coming out the week of Thanksgiving, if not on the day. And the narrative that I learned in history class in elementary school about what Thanksgiving was, just being so bogus and so rewritten to favor the colonizer side of the story and to say oh no there wasn't a genocide we it was us all getting along and that's there was a feast and it was nice but then the indians turned on us (laughs) right (laughs) literally what i learned and right that 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 myth includes like five different popular stereotypes around native people like in one story that that a lot of kids learn when they're two three years old it's fucking ridiculous and i like just like conditions you into a colonizer mindset when you're too young to even realize what that is or what that means. And I feel it is like, especially because the, I mean, the internet is fucking evil, has great potential for, (laughs) you know, it's like has surely ruined our mental health forever. However, (laughs) it is like, I I feel like speaking to your point essay about like, it's like your responsibility, I don't know, like if if you were brought up with a colonizer mindset, you have the tools to unlearn it Mm -hmm. in a way that like no other generation or point in history that has it been more true that you have the tools to be able to unlearn it. And it's I feel like it's like your responsibility to do it, even Mm -hmm. even if it's uncomfortable, who gives a shit like it's and I I think, too, and one of the things that I've come up against in a lot of my um like whether I'm doing like community work or supporting people or I don't know, like, I like, I hate to say what I do is work. Cause like, I don't consider it work, but in education, like I feel really bad sometimes when people are like, you know, I, I want to talk to native people. I want to find things out and they're very apprehensive to talk to me. I'm like, well, rightfully so, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, there's gotta be a level of like, uh, I don't mind talking to people about my experiences. I can only speak to my own experiences. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I specialize in very specific areas of Native history and then how that affects us in modern times with, you know, residential schools and Mm -hmm. uh, the scoop and and all of that. Actually, that that reminds me, just to go back, uh, there was one of those Thomas Edison films was Indian Day School. And it was like in uh, right before 1900. And it was... Mm -hmm 
about natives being taken away from their families and like, you know, and being forced assimilated, you know, so I can only speak to those experiences. But what I like to do is still make space that I'm capable of to tell people about the hurt that we've experienced and still experienced by methods of TV and and, uh, and movies. But it just it's it's going to take time. We can't undo what's been done, but we can learn new ways of being. And so, yeah, I, I like to make space for people to educate um, just, again, from my experiences and in hopes that they're not just seeking out um, like, a, I guess, like, would it be a trauma bonding or like trying to live vicariously through the trauma? Right. So they could feel mm-hmm. some proximity to it without experiencing it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I. I think that the more we can share and the more that people realize that they have access to information, you know, like there's going to be stuff online that's going to support either opinion. Right. And that's, yeah. that's part of the, the problem with uh, people not having a, a direction to go in. So like a, a little bit of compassion, if somebody doesn't want to talk to you, don't force it out of them because you know, you'll get, <laughs> you'll get a, an earful, I'm sure. <laughs> but um mm-hmm. There's got to be space for for education and there's got to be space for Native people to be able to tell their own stories, for people to uh, participate in that by even just watching. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There's there's so much that we could talk. This this documentary is so like wonderfully dense. Oh. I say, are there specific movies or, or points covered in the doc that you wanted to cover? I, I mean, I feel like I wrote down a million quotes of... Speaking to, I, I, there was one I wanted to share about Pocahontas. Um, I didn't write down who said it. I believe it was Jesse Winty, mm-hmm. who's an Ojibwe film critic, um, who said about Pocahontas in a way that, again, just at many points, this documentary just like really clearly distills what the issue is with a tremendously famous movie that misrepresents Native people. And this one was, uh, we imbue in her all of the wrong notions about what we want to see in a mythical princess. And she becomes the embodiment of what we want to see, not in Native society. She becomes an embodiment of what we see in American society and of American desire. And that's, I mean, that's the white millennials journey with the movie Pocahontas. (laughs) Uh, I, I think that one of the first things that I recognize outside of the wild historical inaccuracy then uh you know going into film school and media you know where there's all these issues of erasure in academia as well but just finding how much more significantly sexualized Pocahontas was not only is she aged up to uh, seem to be an appropriate romantic interest not only is there all of this implied consent not only is there this implied betrayal of her own people all of which is untrue but the way that she's physically presented is as far more sexual than any of the white Disney princesses that you would see and the historical context that comes with that of overtly sexualizing and um you know, alternatively sexualizing and erasing Native women from media entirely. That that makes me think about some of those old Westerns and like when the women would be in brown face, you know, it was always like the white man would be seeking out, you know, this, uh, I can't, like, I, it's such a, it's a slur, so I can't even say it, but like the SQ word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, if anyone wants a uh, piece of homework, go look at what the actual origin of that meaning is. It's incredibly vulgar. Mm-hmm. But 
I think about it's always about like um, and going in theme with the podcast here it's all about like being available to men right it's the use use of by men right um, even you know not to like go off too too far off course here but like even with like the school marm right like the white women in it are just there to be of use for the men and to take care of the children and that sort of thing like there's no dimension right Mm -hmm. so when you see these native women in whether it be westerns or even like the contemporary western like dances with wolves her her purpose was to serve the man right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. be this like caricature of of indigeneity when like Ole stands with a fist was actually just a white woman, you know, who was stolen by these savages, but then raised by them, you know, and it's this whole story. And I really like that it was brought up that she looked like she was disheveled and she looked all these ways. And like, if she was actually living with them, she would have communed. Like, so they had to make her look savage. Right. And like, and it was the white man that saved her from, you know, whatever. It's just because like also heaven forbid, this white man end up with a it's like she had like two di- she was a two-dimensional character like she wasn't one dimension she had two dimensions because she lived with natives but was still white you know that heaven forbid he would have ended up with a native woman at all you know mm. like and so there's still a level of like um what's the word for it it's like just if it's like misogyny racism and again back to the fetishization of like what women are worth right and then you add you know add in that she's native or brown or anything you know and that's adds another level of like just utter dismissal of any any worth for sure actually if i had one criticism of this documentary is that i would have loved to hear more native women yeah talk about what they've experienced what they've seen as far as the representation of native women and femmes in Hollywood and just their thoughts on it because we have a there's a few women who are interviewed but uh definitely more men (laughs) I mean and that's that's the other thing too like I look at time frame and I look at like you know we always have to take an account of when things are made right because like a I don't believe in the thing that people didn't know any better they just choose not to um expand right you Mm -hmm. know or have like yeah um like the time frame can explain it. It doesn't necessarily excuse it. Right. right? Does that totally. make sense? Yes. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I look at the time frame of when this was made and there weren't a lot of major motion pictures being made. Wow. <laughs> Just said the words major motion pictures. <laughs> Brave of you to say. <laughs> I, oh, thank you. Um, it's nice to be here. Uh, <laughs> but there weren't. A, a vast amount of major motion pictures being made with uh, native uh, actresses, right? Mm-hmm. Like in in roles that weren't like you know, freaking like Legends of the Fall, like one woman for a few minutes, and of course, oh, what she was serving Brad Pitt's character, mm-hmm. you know, like. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that this documentary, like, kind of uh, subtly, without maybe knowing, really helped uh, shed light on that because yeah, there wasn't any even in, in something that was so progressive at its time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we're at the point where we could have real engine part two and like, look at where we are now, you know, and what we've learned. I mean, there's a, there are five twilight movies that came out since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, Loka. I, 
progress is not linear all the time and moving forward and because um, yeah. like you know the movie ends on this like really um you know positive note of like representation seems to be getting better but then all these Twilight movies came out. But also, like, just another fun... Uh, you probably already know this, but, like, fun movie fact is that uh, Taylor Lautner improvised Loka, and they just kept it in there, so that wasn't even... No! I did not know that! What yeah, that, that, is, uh, that is one of the only parts of those movies I've ever watched, and I just enjoy it because I'm just, like, him and his big white teeth just saying Loka just like, <laughs> does it for me. <laughs> Those Lautner veneers. Oh. <laughs> Nothing like them. Spark, sparkle. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just, yeah, I, I would be, that, that was, um, I would love to see a sort of an update. I guess, I don't know. I, I, as someone that is always frustrated by, like, the idea of being like, oh, that thing you did a long time ago, do it again yeah. for me. <laughs> uh, but I, but I would love to see sort of, um, an update in this in this format maybe it exists and i just don't know about it but yeah. maybe I, I i i if it does i hope i didn't miss it you know like <laughs> again not to dismiss neil diamond like i and this is going to sound really silly to say it out loud but like people like him make me proud to be cree because it is something that is so authentically indigenous to who he was and the environment he grew up in mm-hmm. what he saw right he wasn't pretending to be a type of native that he wasn't right so like i i appreciate everything he's done with with that film and how he narrated it and how he story told through it and again like i said at the beginning you know when i was kind of talking about my experience with the the film it's it's literally the movie that i give for people as a stepping stone to understanding mm-hmm. why their perceptions are the way they are of us it's bite-sized breakdown you know exactly yeah it's it's, it's a like, positive catalyst movie that's what i i think of yeah, yeah. Ooh, ooh, that's a great yeah. description for like a yeah. genre yeah. of movie that's yeah. cool like yeah. i love things that are thought-provoking but it's a positive catalyst to like again both of you said like oh we have to watch these movies from it or whatever this is like 13 years ago there's so much since then but like those mm-hmm. movies are your little snack maronis on your way to understanding native people through cinema yeah so absolutely yeah sir is there anything else that uh you both wanted to touch on i mean we're at the point now where uh we realize that we're all on native land right and Mm -hmm. the best way to understand where people are now is by understanding history and so knowing where you are is a really good step forward you don't know like i encourage people to not feel overwhelmed when it comes to understanding where they are. So like, you know, you live somewhere there, like nativeland.ca, you can find out whose land you're on, start doing some research, you know, Um, just find out where you are and find out whose land you're on, find out if that tribe is doing anything, find out how you, and support is such a broad word, but encourage other people to learn, understand the initiatives being taken, support them when they're trying to change legislation get land back etc you know um it can be very overwhelming again like i said to find out that most of your existence and knowledge is built on lies about people and uh this false sense of security in what the united states and canada stand on but um Mm -hmm. i mean i promise it's worth uh it's worth learning about 
Definitely. So that's that's all I got. Oh, and not every Indian's a Plains Indian. We don't all wear he- uh, headdresses and wear bonnets. I mean, like my people do, oh. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the last thing I wanted to actually because uh, we we started talking about the uh, the costume design, but just how um, there there was a great quote I think also from oh my gosh I have so many notes Jesse Wenty yeah for you know how the uh, the use of the um, what am I thinking of around the neck um, are you talking about breastplates or the finger necklace or yeah the 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 finger okay <laughs> it's like the headband the ch- the which one <laughs> the, sorry there my brain no longer works uh, no the, the the use of the choker being strictly practical to hide like wires oh. and different things where they're like oh. yeah we we completely manufactured the image of native people uh, to the yeah. point where it was to hide shit that was just movie shit yeah the headband to hold on the wigs and stuff like that yes. yeah yeah i um i think that that's one of the biggest like takeaways for this movie the first time i saw it as a as a somebody who is a plains indian you know i i was like yeah i was like this this they needed the identifier so like suddenly everyone's wearing a headdress everyone has a breastplate on everyone has these long braids or whatever and it's just it was so it's so lazy like it just feels yeah. so lazy mm-hmm. but the thing is is they just needed this like identifier and like while I get it like I think Plains Natives are beautiful and there's so many tribes like there's so many tribes that live in the in the Great Plains I mean like why them you know like again like they're like but I again I wouldn't wish that fetishization on any other group you know so it's just it's it's very interesting to see that that was it was it's a caricature of indigeneity Mm -hmm. you know yeah, and and what that does is just lumps all native people into one monolith yeah. culturally, and they're in Hollywood for most of these films made no attempt to include any like specific cultural signifiers for different tribes and nations, and it also just strips natives of specific cultural identity and mm-hmm. hollywood was just doing that for decades and white audiences were none the wiser they were just like oh well, this is this if this i'm seeing it, it on screen this just That's must the only be way we've it. Ever seen it right <laughs> yeah and then that just brings us back to the point of like taking the initiative to learn and actually do the work put in the effort to you may have to read a book <laughs> or you can do you can do the other thing that i do because again reading is not my for like, i just can't focus in so i just like use my delicious little apps on my phone or even highlight text on my computer yes i said computer <laughs> <laughs> and i and i have it read it to me you read know me. yeah exactly everyone learns different ways and there's so many applications to be able to facilitate that now yeah, which is, yeah, just like another of, of all the elements of being alive right now that are fucking awful. That is a good thing. Take advantage of the few good things we have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share that those quotes from Richard Lamont because I feel like, I mean, it's very much what our show is about or has become increasingly more about over the years, which is that, like, I think it's very easy to, you know, like... I don't know, argue that like, I mean, I think we still, I still see this among people that I like know and like and respect and all this stuff, but they're like, it's just a movie. It's not that serious. It's just a movie, which it's, it's very rarely just a movie, especially when you're 
talking about or erasing entirely communities who are rarely have ever given the opportunity to represent themselves with the same budgets with the same sort of institutional support mm-hmm. and all of this shit it's it it is ext- as as goofy as so much of it is it is like extraordinarily important and affects- whether we notice it or not it is altering our perceptions and that that jesse wenty quote that i uh, really that really kind of stuck with me during the costuming segment was that um the way that you know all of indigenous culture was just sort of turned into this also false representation of a plains native he says it's an an ingenious act of colonialism robbing nations of their identity and grouping them and that just feels like this story even when it's you know seemingly well-intentioned you have this like brief moment in the 70s but even so it's majority by white directors who are showing native characters in a more empathetic light than film has in many years but through the white characters lens always mm-hmm. well it's the outward racism for me that is just like portraying john wayne as the real american right and mm-hmm. you know natives not being right and that's just mm-hmm. so <sighs> yeah yeah it's something that still like it's uh Uh, I think it was like John Trudell actually um, who said the words in that he's an incredible poet um, but he in the documentary he talked about how like when they got off the boat they didn't recognize us you know and I think that that is still the the rhetoric that you know came through in cinema over the last hundred years yeah something also that he said that really stuck with me was the word Indian had never been uttered. A sound had never been made, yeah. In this hemisphere, pre-settler colonialism, and, like, the idea of Native American, in the sense that, like, America was a concept that was also brought over. Mm -hmm. And he's like, my people are are older than both concepts, Yeah, but we're still Mm -hmm. fighting so hard to defend that identity yeah and that's the thing like even the word indian there's a lot of like um i'm indifferent to it and everyone is entitled to their own uh standard with it like i don't really like i identify as indian uh slang now is letters n d n you know and it's just like a cute way of kind of like like you know vernacular changes in in certain demographics mm-hmm. and groups of people you know i i there's something he's like he said like we're the people and this is really cool just as like a kind of a, a nugget is I have a lot of friends from a lot of different tribes and like most of the time their names just translate to the people mm. right uh, or something about the people of right like so it's always just people uh-huh. and so like same thing with uh, Nehio it's we're people right and it's interesting because I I don't like unless I'm hanging out with like my Nietzsche's, which are like my friends and stuff like that. Like, uh, you know, using the word Indian isn't really a thing that I, I do because it's a point of like both. Uh, like, I just I, I'm appalled by it. But at the same time, I'm like, it's how I identify. I, it's a really weird mm-hmm. uh, two re- two truths can re- exist at the same time for like how I feel about being an Indian. Yeah because I don't want to be a Native American again like America is not what I want to be a part of you know I prefer to be referred to as First Nations because Mm -hmm. my people were of the First Nations here but 
I am like when I introduce myself, you know, I'm not an Indian. I'm I'm Machif and I'm Mejio and I'm German. Thanks, Dad, for having a thing for skinny white women. But you know, like <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> that's the other thing too is like I laugh because I'm like I acknowledge all parts of myself and like I got to grow up with some pretty rich German heritage too and that was pretty neat and that's the other thing that was touched on the movie which actually is really important is that John Trudell said he's like you know they're just trying to find themselves these hippies right because you know they were part of tribes they were part of nations at one point and they're just searching for that piece of them that's lost that's why they latch on and uh, I felt that because um colonization has done a number on everybody yeah and uh just because we're the most recent you know we're feeling it in such a drastic way i feel bad for people who appropriate uh native people here because i know that they're just searching for something in themselves that they don't have an answer to and probably never will Mm. Mm -hmm. so not excusing what they're doing but again uh explains the behavior doesn't excuse it exactly yeah totally (sighs) So, so much. There's so many nuggets in that There's film. So, I know. It's like, I feel like we keep being like, okay, the episode's over. And but then wait, this other time. This? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, people watch the movie if you haven't and mm-hmm. ask questions and ask questions about where you are and ask questions if those people have made films or have been in TV shows or mm-hmm. have participated in anything to do storytelling that's what native people are known for we're storytellers you know Mm -hmm. like every native nation has their stories of how we got to be here why we shouldn't do certain things and there's protocols around that too which i guess it's also varied by nation because again not an infallible fount of all things indigenous Mm -hmm. but yeah take time learn and explore and it's gonna make us better as people um to understand where folks are coming from because we can't undo what's happened but we can always learn new ways of being mm-hmm. absolutely you mentioned slashback are there any other movies you would recommend people check out by indigenous filmmakers i mean there's just there's so there's so many like just as a side note there's so many incredible like short films like the Oh, gosh, what was it like the Native American? There's one that I got to look it up right now. It's going to it's going to kill me. Um, but there's these like short films that I've been seeing um, recently, and they're pretty amazing. Um, did I delete it? I deleted it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but like the Native American like film festival, they have so many up and coming native artists doing like five minute films, you know, mm. like just to see things again through an indigenous lens is so important. There's so many talented native musicians and mm. uh, I know uh, like the, the dirty word, like TV shows, but there's so <laughs> many TV shows now that offer it in bite sized pieces for lack of a better term, you know, mm. like where you can, just step away for 30 minutes and just experience proximity to somebody else, you know, through their, their language and their, their, their lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, SA, thank you so much for joining us, for discussing this movie with us and for helping us make history on this show. Yeah. By covering so a documentary for the first time. <laughs> Whoops, history. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was such an enlightening conversation. And yeah, I, I, I loved this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you encouraged us to, to cover 
this one specifically because I just I I feel like I have like a list of wonderful movies to watch I'm so excited yeah I and honestly I appreciate it because uh for me again I don't want to speak as anyone other than like I'm a Jeffrey Nahio person uh so to not really talk about like a film that you know wasn't created or through the lens of like these people uh it's hard for me to speak to that because I haven't had their lived experience and I don't speak their language and I don't know their stories so I can't speak to like the beauty that's behind some of these films and tv shows and even Mm -hmm. music that's coming out so to talk about something that I feel comfortable speaking on which is how natives have been portrayed I really uh appreciate and value the space to be able to do that and for you guys to bend your rules a little bit and uh, make space for somebody that's so important and not a lot of places do that um, even though we'd like to think we're progressive so thank you for making space for me I really appreciate it oh my gosh it. happy to do it come yeah. back and cover any movie you like <laughs> yeah. drop dead friend no <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> Truly, like whatever you, that's, okay. I can't imagine the rich feminist discussion to be had around <laughs> Drop Dead Friend. I turned out fine. I watched it all the time. <laughs> you know what's wild? I always get the title of that movie confused with Freddie Got Fingered because oh, they both have God, Fred God. in it. Oh my the- God, I'm realizing that I was doing the same thing. No, no, that that is a different one. That's the Tom Green one. The um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop Dead Friend is the, like, uh, special friend. I don't. What are they called? Imaginary friends. Yeah. Special friend. That sounds way too creepy. Mm-hmm. God, is there any movie with starring a character named Fred who is not scary? Well, no. Five Nights at I was just say, Fred. Five, five, five Nights, Nights at Freddy's. Freddy which, got yeah. fingered. <laughs> I had a, a reservation to go see it on my AMC A list stubs, and uh, then I looked up its Rotten Tomato score and i was like oh it's low i i i I don't think that anyone should ever trust a rotten tomatoes score especially of a move of of a horror movie especially of a horror movie directed by a woman i was really i was really stoked to see this is the biggest goofiest thing to start talking about the at the end of this episode but it's yeah directed by a woman named Emma Tammy who I haven't seen her work before but she negotiated in a percentage of profits then the movie has made over 200 million dollars I was like <gasps> you know I wow. I just um like well so even though it very well may fucking suck everyone's seeing Five Nights at Fred Drop Dead Fred <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy Krueger's uh, Pizza <laughs> Freddy Palace uh <laughs> Justice for Fred's. <laughs> oh, no. no. John's and Fred's are out. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's true. Oh, it's 2023, gosh. almost 2024. <laughs> I'm like, are we, what are, if, if and, and ultimately, this is, this very well may revive Josh Hutcherson's career. And how do we feel about that? I don't know. I don't know. Fine with me. I mean, are we, do we in 2023 need to revive Josh Hutcherson's career? A fair question. <laughs> Let's ponder that one and then uh, get back to each other through email. Um, Okay. Aze, thank you so, so much for joining us. I was going to say, does does the Bechdel test and the nipple scale even apply here? Well, I think, like, 
like you were saying earlier, essay, it, it does. Apply, I mean, I don't think we can really do a nipple scale for this because it's like you. But all, all three of us have kind of alluded to the fact that this documentary is incredibly valuable. I'd never seen anything like it. I learned a ton. And I think we all sort of seem to feel that women were not um, the way that Native women are portrayed and the number of women included in the documentary uh, left something to be desired. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's always room for improvement. We can never think that the thing we do is finite and perfect, you know. So, mm-hmm. again, catalyst, right? Let's take it as a catalyst yes. and think about if any of the young Native female directors out there saw this at some point and said hey i want to i want to change things up you know Mm -hmm. that's that's all we can hope for for a film like this to educate and inspire definitely yeah so no nippies but (laughs) (laughs) not yet yeah this is this is a this is a this is an n slash a as far as i'm concerned yeah not applicable yeah although there are i will say that it's uh there are some graphic scenes, especially with the photos and stuff like that, that are quite triggering or agitating with some of the, the imagery of natives being harmed or mm-hmm. like from both film and then the photos that were shown that those always um, can be jarring. Yes. So. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Genocide is jarring, y'all. <laughs> mm. um, where yeah. can people check you out on social media check out your work etc on the interwebs you can find me on instagram at at lawrence welch nw and then i have one of those invaluable link trees with all of the other things on them that you can find stuff about creepy tp uh which is yeah tell us more about it yeah, uh, Creepy TP is kind of amazing. Um, talking about native storytelling. So uh, my friend Ivana Yellowback and I uh, get together through the internet and do live streams where we tell spooky stories from our nation. We're both Cree. Mm-hmm. So we'll still tell stories of our people and the spooky stuff that goes bump in the night. Um, and then our own personal experiences. And we're looking to do a series next uh, where we have guests on that will be telling spooky stories from their nations. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeping it creepy. Um, putting the, the Cree in creepy, I guess. <laughs> oh, <laughs> perfect. Swish. And then, uh, yeah, and that's that's a lot of fun. And we're building that up uh, slowly but surely. And then, yeah, with Tradishish, um Again, I've said a few times that I'm not an infallible fount of all things indigenous. I don't really like pan-indigeneity, as we've seen from the way I've I've spoke today. Mm -hmm. Not all natives are the same. We're not a monolith. And so I created this uh, art project to really showcase the differences in uh, tribal nations through art as the outlet. And so, yeah, um, be doing shows and different events with that to just kind of celebrate the diversity of indigeneity on this landmass. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at Lawrence Welch Northwest uh, NW and then uh, online at tradish-ish.com. And yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Amazing. Thank yeah. you again so much. This has Thank been wonderful. You. Yeah. We'll see you on the Drop Dead Fred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, that. We just did 
just do like snippets of like every Fred movie ever. Like just include Fred Astaire in there too. Oh Why my god! Well. Oh my god! And then Al Fred Molina. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's true. Who goes by Freddy sometimes? sometimes. It's complicated. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram. Uh, still on Twitter sometimes when we remember to post there at Bechtel Cast. You can join our Patreon, aka Matreon, where for five bucks a month you can get two bonus episodes as well as access to our back catalog of about 150 episodes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can uh, you can find us there. And you can also grab our merch at tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast. Grab some, you know, t-shirts, pillows, etc. Everything's designed by a one Jamie Loftus. It's true. It's getting to be the holiday season. Mm-hmm. So get your sexy baby Grinch uh, <laughs> merch. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's really powerful plug. We've exited wet scab, dry scab season. Mm-hmm. And now we're heading into baby Grinch wearing heels. Yes. <laughs> Our merch store is fairly cursed, but... <laughs> We do have it. <laughs> it is there, and you can buy the stuff if you so choose. And we'll be back next week. So see we sure you will. then. Bye. Bye-bye. The Bechtel Cast is a production of iHeartMedia, hosted by Caitlin Durante and Jamie Loftus, produced by Sophie Lichterman, edited by Mo Laborde, our theme song was composed by Mike Kaplan with vocals by Catherine Voskresensky. Our logo and merch is designed by Jamie Loftus. And a special thanks to Aristotle Acevedo. For more information about the podcast, please visit linktree slash Bechtelcast. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.